and Scott. Talking music with Andy and Andy. And Scott. And Scott. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Name Two Bands with Andy and Andy. Um, of course, my name is Andy Brown, and joining me is uh, Andy Samford. How are you feeling, Andy? Yo. You feeling better? F- finally, almost back to normal. That's good. <laughs> are you in bed for like two days? Uh, last week, I I spent most of three days in bed, yeah. Yeah, caught something at that KISS convention. Uh, Thousand people from yeah. all over the world in one room, touching a bunch of stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that did it. And uh, joining us as well, we have our first guest on the program, which is our old friend, Scott Jeffries. How are you, Scott? Hello. I'm doing well. I'm feeling uh, very out of place. Can you call me Andy today? <laughs> yeah, all three Andys. <laughs> so before we uh, get into stuff, um, just uh, a couple quick housekeeping notes. Um, the first is that we are now on uh, Stitcher. So if you use Stitcher to listen to podcasts, um, we're on there. You can find us uh, on the link section of SoundCloud, or you can find the link on our Facebook page. And I also... Uh, sent in an application to iTunes to get us on there. <coughs> Haven't heard anything back from them as yet, but from what I understand, uh, it takes a little bit of time. So before we get into anything else, Scott, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about current bands, as well as your former projects, and of course, uh, I'll put links to all of them in the description so people can check them out if they want to. All right. Well, uh, my current bands are, I have two main bands. Uh, One is sort of a country rock outfit in the styling of Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson and some of the classics like Graham Parsons and Willie Nelson. Not influenced by Radiohead or spiritualized at all, Uh, but we're called Stars of Cascadia. And and then I have sort of my my side project, which is a... uh, throwback 1970s uh, progressive rock exploration called Gamma Repeater, which is uh, pretty heavily influenced by Radiohead and Spiritualized. <laughs> and uh, prior to that, we were, uh, some of us were a band called Crazy Dumb Saint, which was uh, even more influenced by Radiohead and Spiritualized. Uh, you might say that we wanted to be Radiohead and Spiritualized. And so I'm uh, glad to be uh, be on this podcast to talk about two of my favorite bands and you were also in uh, another band called spirit lake correct i was yeah i played guitar it was kind of a you know stoner 70s rock thing very riffy very bluesy that's the good shit (laughs) yeah it was fun but then uh, i kind of got the the bug to write songs and boss people around again so well stars of cascadia have an album out called Riverside Skyline, which of course you can uh, find on Bandcamp. And as you said, uh, it's not at all in the style of Radiohead or Spiritualize, but we'll go ahead uh, and uh, play a clip anyway.
judge more, go fight your holy war. Beat back the waves as they crash to the shore. Climb up Mount Sinai, then stand up on high and say, This is the hill where I'll die. Hey, Judge Moore, we've known your kind before. Outside of the schoolhouse and blocking the door. How will it look when our history books are all full of the pictures we took? You're gonna die on that hill in the dustbin of time like a $2 bill. If you won't save us, nobody else will. So So I, uh, I take it from uh, listening to that song that uh, you were pretty happy when uh, Roy Moore lost to Doug Jones last month. I, I was happy, actually. I was kind of relieved because I actually wrote that song well before he ran for Senate, <laughs> back when he was just a disgraced former judge. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of like a fuck you to him on his way out the door after he got kicked out for the second time. Well, hey, now it's, and, uh, uh, now it's even more so. Yeah, well, and it's funny because suddenly he came back and it looked like he was probably going to win. And I thought this song was going to haunt me for, like, the rest of my life. And then we found out that he likes to touch little kids, so. Yeah, and that was just bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, do you play that pedal steel? Uh, I did not on the recording. I do play pedal steel, but that's a friend of ours who's way better than I am. and Sounded pretty sweet. Yeah. That's a good, yeah, it was great. We loved it. That's a good song. That's a really good song. Um, I haven't listened to the whole album, but what I've listened to is really good. Um, oh, I see how it is. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so all of you should uh, definitely check it out. Before we uh, really get into uh, the music this week, it's kind of a happy coincidence that you agreed to come on because Andy and I were going to talk a little baseball. And, of course, you're every bit as much of a baseball fan as we are. And the f first topic I wanted to bring up was there was an article by uh, Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports, and I'll put a link in the description to this. Basically, he was looking at why the Hot Stove League this year was completely cool, like nobody is signing with anyone. Um, and he looked through the various different factors, whatever it's um, the luxury tax, which is newly um, steep this year, and things like the next year's class of free agents is going to be way better. And he kind of ruled them out systematically one by one. Why no, that can't really explain why nobody's signing. Um, essentially, it turns out that there's no other conclusion then there's collusion again. And part of that is because teams have so much money because of the regional sports networks, because of the acceptance, I think, among fans of Moneyball, the idea that you can tear down and rebuild and you don't have to spend a whole lot of money to put a winner on the field. Uh, those two factors together, basically owners don't need to spend money um, to still be viable. So 
they're just not spending money. And the upshot of that is that in both the NBA and the NFL, both of which have salary caps, which baseball does not, over 50% of the revenue of the sports goes to the players, whereas in baseball right now it's uh, about 41%. Um, so go ahead and give your thoughts, guys. Well, you know, that article came out, and then Lorenzo Cain got five years at $80 million. <laughs> Yeah, he's the, he's the only big one to sign so far, though. Like, I mean... Yeah, uh, well, Jake, Carlos Santana, a couple in the early... Arietta's still out there. Um, I th- isn't it all... Uh, uh, what's his name, guys? Boris? Yeah, Boris. They're on there, aren't most of them Boris guys? No, and they're, he went into that um, as a possibility of that being used as an excuse that Boris likes to set the market by demanding these um, huge fees for people to sign... Um, but usually Boris, his clients, have signed long before this. Um, so even if it was that Boris was trying to set the market, it's long past that point that it, it should have been set. Uh, I think it's just the owners just don't want to pay the money. I think Tony Clark's somewhat inept, and I think the players kind of got a bad deal on the last agreement. And, um, you know, I don't know if there's out-and-out collusion, but the owners might think they could get away with it right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about Tony Clark and the last uh, CBA. Um, do you have any thoughts, Scott? Uh, yeah, I think I think the main thing that we see is, um, you know, starting with the Moneyball revolution, you know, it kind of gradually spread through teams, and so you had some smart teams, but there was always some stupid team that would sign a ridiculous contract. And I think maybe we finally reached the point where valuation has uh, become so uh, similar from team to team that there isn't that one team that's going to break the market. Yeah, that and I be. think the luxury tax has a lot to do with that. I'm a Dodger fan, and the Dodgers have been very open about the fact that they don't want to pass that this year. Yankees as well. Yeah. And next year, there's that great class of free agents, and so yeah. teams yeah, want to save huge. their money. It could be kind of... Uh the opposite of what Moneyball originally meant, because people misunderstand um, Moneyball. Moneyball is not get cheap players. Moneyball is not get players with um, high on-base percentage. Moneyball, finding market inefficiencies. Yeah, exactly, finding market inefficiencies. So it could be uh, the next market inefficiency might be actually signing veterans that uh, nobody else wants to pony up for. But I guess we'll see. Any further thoughts before we move on to the next topic? I don't think I so. I think just the big thing is there needs to be a reckoning with what we pay young talent. If they're, yeah. if they're now valuing free agents less, then the young guys need to get a bigger piece of the pie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, even uh, the NBA where they have a draft cap, and the NFL has one too. Um, the NBA, you pay... Th- play three years on a, a contract that wouldn't be market value, but then you can become a restricted free agent and then not too long after that become an unrestricted free agent. And then in the NFL, once your rookie contract is up, um, which is always going to be, again, undervalued, not market value, um, but then you can become a free agent. In baseball, first of all, you're going to be in the minors for a long time, not making anything. 
Um, and of course, now they have capped bonuses. Um, if you're drafted, then they moved on to capping international signings. And then, of course, your first three years, you're basically, once you do make the majors, you're playing for whatever ownership offers you. Then you get three years of arbitration after that. And then by the time you hit free agency, um, you're probably 29, 30 years old. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something that's going to have to be dealt with. And uh, unfortunately, I think it would take a much sharper and tougher um, union head than Tony Clark to do anything about that. Agreed. All right. So yeah, yeah. the next topic um, is the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, of course, Chipper Jones was elected. Shout out, Andy. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero was elected. Um, Jim Tomey was elected. So far, I don't have any problems with any of those. I think all of those are fine choices. Um, Trevor Hoffman made it. He's borderline to me. Um, but uh, I, w- I wouldn't have voted for him. But I, I can see the argument for him. Um, Edgar Martinez just barely missed the cut. I think he... He should be in. Yeah, and I think he probably does uh, get in next year. Mike Mussina came in right after that. He looks on track like he'll probably get in eventually. Um, he should be in. He should definitely be in. And then, to me, there's these next three are no-brainers. Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, and Kurt Schilling really do look like they might at this point, like they might get to the 10-year cutoff and not get in. And I know there's arguments like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Kurt Schilling. They're all assholes. And Clemens and Bonds both took steroids. Let's not put all three of them on the same asshole level, okay? Yeah, they're not all on one the of same them, One of them is a asshole of an entirely different category. Yeah, that would be Kurt Schilling, of course. Um, <laughs> And Clemens and Bonds took steroids, but Roger Clemens is arguably, I'm not saying he is, but he's arguably the best pitcher in baseball history. Barry Bonds is arguably the best position player in baseball history. So if those guys can't get into the Hall of Fame, then like, what's the fucking point of having a Hall of Fame? Well, the problem is you have these crusty old baseball writers who fancy themselves the moral gatekeepers. Yeah. The same people who failed to cover steroids in the first place. Yep, yep, the the same group. What were you going to say, Andy? I just wish, you know, uh, I could have seen what Bonds and Clemens had done had they not tried to uh, uh, cheat their injuries. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, But, of course, they were great players before they started uh, taking steroids. So, um, the most, well, I think there's two insane things uh, on this ballot. Um, But first is that Omar Vizquel came in 10th ahead of Larry Walker, Fred McGriff, Manny Ramirez, and Jeff Kent, who I would actually, I would vote for all four of those guys. Um, not Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel is not a Hall of Fame player by any criterion that I can conceive of. And the second insane part was that 
in his first time on the ballot, and I know you were particularly worked up about this, Scott, is that Scott Rowland got 10% of the vote in his first year on the Travesty. ballot. Travesty. Yeah. Yeah. That guy is Okay, so I'm a third baseman. I grew up playing third base, uh, so I am very sympathetic to third baseman. And third base is the most underrepresented position on the Hall of Fame. And so, I mean, Scott Rowland's easily a top 10 third baseman of all time. Yeah, definitely. He was definitely the best third baseman of his generation. Yeah. And, you know, he never stayed healthy for a full season, and his career was over sooner than most Hall of Famers. But what he did when he played, and especially defensively, yeah, uh, which is still, you know, not fully appreciated by Hall of Fame voters, unless you're Omar Vizquel, and then they go in the completely opposite direction. And... Yep. <laughs> If you're a banjo-hitting shortstop, then all of a sudden you're exactly. the greatest fielder of all time. Otherwise... Ozzie Smith made it in. Yeah. Ozzie Smith deserved to get in. Yeah. Then, he wasn't then, a banjo hitter, though. He no. wasn't a slugger, Vizquel, but he could hit. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. You know, I haven't looked at the stats or anything, but doesn't Vizquel compare with Ozzie Smith pretty closely? No. No. Oh, he okay. wasn't. Never mind. He wasn't nearly the hitter um, that Smith was, and... Fielding metrics, like uh, like modern fielding metrics, they're they're kind of hard, hard to apply um, backwards, but and they d- definitely disagree with each other. But on none of them does Viscal uh, rate at Smith's level. Would anyone argue that Smith is not the best defensive shortstop in history? Yeah, I can't argue that. Yeah, I don't think I would argue with that. Yeah. So unless you're Ozzie Smith and you can't hit and you play shortstop, you probably aren't a Hall of Famer. Um, and Vizquel also wasn't on The Simpsons, so that's also a big that's true. point against him. That's definitely true. So no um, no Hall of Fame push for uh, Mark Bellinger? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Any other thoughts on uh, the Hall of Fame? Edgar should be in. I would just like... McGriff should be in. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Manny Ramirez should be in. Larry Walker should Dale be in. Dale Murphy should be in. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And uh, uh, Can anyone argue that Andrew Jones is not the best fielding center fielder of all time? I think that could be argued. And Andrew, There's a case for it. Yeah, there's definitely a case for it. And I would definitely vote for Andrew Jones for the Hall of Fame just because he was so good early in his career, especially defensively, but he was also a good hitter. His, uh, I mean, he's Willie Mays for one year. Yeah, his wins above replacement um, during his prime was enough for me to vote for him if I had a vote. But I think he just fell off the cliff so quickly that I, I don't think he'll get in ever. He liked playing video games more than he did working out. Yep, he liked to eat and play video games, basically. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Yeah, I mean, some people just, you know aren't geared like uh, some of these guys, and that's just how they are as a person. You can't knock it. Last week, we started a new segment here where Andy and I oh, yeah. recommend albums to each other, and I'll go ahead and go first, because I think the, the second topic might be uh, a little bit contentious, so... <laughs> <laughs> So you recommended to me uh, to listen to uh, Coolest Shaker 
Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and the first thing I would say about that album is that I'm really glad that uh, you sent me it uh, in the flak form because, God, that sounded good on headphones. It sounded so good. And I think uh, Barbara Ella, Modern Blues, um, those were really good songs. Those are probably my favorite songs on the album. And they cycled through like a bunch of different styles. The Indian influence is obvious and really cool. And then like Winter's Epic, that's like, a, as the title said, that's a pretty epic um, song to end your album on. Winter's Call, yeah. Oh, is it Winter's Call? Yeah. I, I guess I wrote Winter's Epic because it was epic. Because <laughs> it's so epic. <laughs> yeah. That's what I wrote in my notes was Winter's Epic. Um, and, uh, of course, you mentioned uh, when we brought this up that they uh, kind of disappeared for a little while because of some controversy. So I looked into that and uh, <laughs> I read that, like, their interest in, like, they were all, like, really interested in uh, India and Indian uh, culture. And yeah. that kind of had a terrible result because the lead singer <laughs> spoke positively of the swastika. He was like, you know, Randall and Quirks, too, with Porch Monkeys. I'm taking it back. I'm taking the taking swastika it back. back. Yeah. It was a symbol of peace. <laughs> We're going to have flaming swastikas on stage just to show you this is a, a symbol of peace. Yeah, and then, of course, the British and he, press. He's also, he's also, you know, like, uh, jokes a lot, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, New Music Express, you know, UK music papers, yeah. they're going to run with that shit. Yeah, the British press are notorious for that kind of shit, and they, they took that and ran with it, and, like, uh, they used, uh, there was... Like, they played at some, like, convention or something that I guess they didn't totally know what the context of it was, but there were, like, some, like, far-right kind of uh, racist speakers at it that they weren't even aware of. And so they just just got smeared, uh, basically. Yeah, hardcore. But, um, yeah, I, I really, really liked that album. And uh, that was a... Uh, kind of a newer album that wasn't from the nineties. Their nineties. Yeah, that hating. wasn't. They they put out those first two before the the long break um, yeah. after the bad press. And if based on the songs you said you liked, you'd probably like those first two a lot. This yeah. was uh, the second of their albums after the comeback. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna gonna check out their earlier stuff. So that's kind of the definition of a. Uh, successful album recommendation i would say yeah kudos and of course my recommendation to you and i wasn't really uh expecting that Uh, you would love it uh (laughs) but my recommendation to you was uh kendrick lamar to pimp a butterfly so go ahead and give me your thoughts on that so this you know this all started because i brought up that you know, in some music groups on Facebook, it's real easy to get a whole lot of people in a tizzy by saying anything negative about Kendrick Lamar. So, you know, people will just be like fawning all over him. And I I never really checked him out, maybe a few seconds of a song here or there or whatever, you know, and I dismissed it. It just wasn't anything I was into. And so I had a 
good time just replying, uh, you know, Kendrick Lamar's bullshit. Sure, <laughs> and, just, just trolling. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was always good for a good reaction. So, um, so yeah, so based on that, you wanted me to actually, like, listen to some Kendrick Lamar because, you know, a lot of people call him the Beatles of hip-hop, and you're, you tend to agree with that. And so, you know... I should at least give it a listen, give it a chance, so I know what he's about before I go off spouting that Kendrick Lamar is bullshit. And so now I can definitely say that I I cannot say that Kendrick Lamar is bullshit. He's definitely not bullshit. He's definitely got some cool shit going on in the sounds, and he's definitely got you know a cool message that he's putting across. Sometimes, sometimes you know the lyric was a little much for me, but I can see where he's you know, wants to relate to the people he wants to relate to and, and get the, the overall message to them, which is a, a good thing, you know. And, um, but for me, for stuff like this, I still think Outkast does it better. And going back further, I'd rather listen to what Funkadelic and Prince and Curtis Mayfield are doing over and over again. I mean, I, you know, he's pushing it and he's progressive with it and he's doing a lot of cool stuff and there's definitely a lot of cool trippy sounds and there's definitely times where I'm like, wow, this is kind of like hip-hop ween, you know? There's definitely some cool stuff. Uh, I don't have the track list in front of me, but it was tracks 1, 2, 7, 8, and 10 were songs that I was like, this is cool. I would I would enjoy listening to this again. But most of it is just, you know, just, uh, I just automatically, my reaction is to want to tune it out because I don't want to f- focus on it. Well, that's actually way more positive than I was expecting. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so like I said, when uh, um, it I, was very long, though, and I mean that's like so long for for me to listen to a lot of hip hop because it's just you know I'm just not huge into hip hop. Yeah, um, and the thing I said when I introduced it to you was that there were like three things uh, going on. Um, when he put that album out one is uh right after good kid mad city like basically everybody in the rap world was like he he's the greatest rapper on the planet so he had to back that up um the second one was that he was getting confronted with like uh fame and uh the music industry and hollywood and all of that crushing on him and then the third, it was like Black Lives Matter and all that was going on. And that album is definitely, it's a concept album. And I'm sure you probably picked up on uh, like that poem that keeps coming up and being added to as the yeah. album goes along. The I remember you was conflicted, misusing the influence. Sometimes I did the same. Like That's kind of the key, yeah. the key to the whole album. Um it's basically the story of everything that he was going through and all of the songs, um, in one way or another, um, address, uh, all of those things. And we don't have to linger too long on this, but I did want to say that, uh, all right, that song, I think that's one of the best hip hop songs ever. Um, and black lives matter has kind of taken that up as like a, we shall overcome. Um, for the current generation and then the song i just with that like chorus of i love myself like as a black man (laughs) in 2015 like that's a pretty like radically positive message um yeah yeah i I dug that part of it for sure yeah um 
All right. When I heard track, when I heard track eleven, when I heard him rapping over Morning Bell, that's when I was like, "Oh, no fucking wonder you love this shit so much." <laughs> <laughs> I, I love all of it. I love all of Kendrick. I love everything Kendrick's done. Um, he's on a completely different level um, than, you know, if you say you like Outkast better, I, I have no argument argument with that. Outkast is fucking fantastic, um, but yeah. th- there's nobody right now. Uh, that's anywhere near his level, um, but anyway, I wouldn't know. But I would, yeah, I would tend to think that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you got for me this week? All right, so you know, my instinct was to kind of wanted to pay you back a bit just by <laughs> giving you something that you know is is something that I love and that's awesome and is is a hugely influential album on me. A little and outside my a, comfort zone. It's going to be a little bit outside your comfort zone, and it's going to be challenging for you to make it through. Okay. So, <laughs> All right. The album that I'm assigning to you this week is Dope Smoker by Sleep. Dope Smoker by Sleep. Yeah, it's okay. one song, 62 minutes. One song, 62 minutes. <laughs> Wow, and it's it's amazing. So, so I, and it's been released several times, and I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the 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 good one, the one that's the band approved mastering. Okay. So. That sounds like uh, Swans kind of shit. Uh, well, let me let me give you just a very quick backstory. They they put out okay. an album on Earache Records that did pretty well on the underground uh, called Sleep's Holy Mountain, and London Records came along and offered them a boatload of money, um, and they took all that money and they bought weed and amps <laughs> and spent five years recording this album that was one, one song, song 62 minutes and turned it in and london said we're not putting this out and you're dropped <laughs> you might be surprised that that sounds like something i uh, might want to really listen you to. you may you may get really into it i mean it's it's amazing it's amazing and it's uh, um, so, hugely influential I, I actually saw them play about half of it live several years before it came out when i saw them in in 93 and it was i mean it's just it's it's that band has been so huge for me so well i mean it's not like i don't get high so uh. oh yeah exactly it's a concept song about um yeah, yeah. drop out of life with bong in hand all right uh so i imagine i don't know for sure but i imagine um that last week you were expecting uh, me to probably recommend uh, Father John Misty. And I went with Kendrick Lamar instead. But this week I am going with uh, Father John Misty. And Scott... That's good. You'll get, me to, you'll get me to listen to it all the way through. Scott, you're also a fan of Father John Misty, right? I, yeah. I'm actually... I can't wait to find out what album because uh, I think that's a... You have, to, you have to think about which album somebody likes the most. And I did. Um, because uh, my favorite is Pure Comedy, his latest. Um, but the thing about Pure Comedy is that... Which I have checked a bit uh, that one out a little bit, a few, yeah. a few songs from it. But the thing about that one is that I, I think it's more lyrically driven. Um, and I know you're not... I think you, the music is like fantastic. Lyrics, but you're not as big on lyrics. Um, the lyrics are secondary to me. First is the music and the melody, and then the, the lyrics. You know, the lyrics aren't going to make it or break it for me. Right, exactly. Um, and the second one, the second one's kind of a concept album. Well, the third one's a concept album too. But um, the second one is kind of a concept album about 
being in love and stuff like that. Um, and it has some great stuff on it. I love it. Um, but right. I thought I thought the one that you would probably like the most uh, was his debut, um, which is called Fear Fun. Um, Fear Fun? Fear Fun. And you can find okay. that on Spotify or I'm sure uh, there are less than legal ways to acquire I'll that. find it. Actually, Sub Pop, uh, Sub Pop I, I, put his whole catalog on YouTube. Yeah, it is. All of his music is on YouTube. I will find it where I find things. Okay. All right. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> All right. And uh, so we'll check back in next week. Check and, back in uh, next week on those, yeah. Well, so yeah. that's an interesting choice because I probably would have gone with I Love You Honey Bear for Andy. But... Uh, We'll see. If if it connects with it me at all, for, for I'll I'll one. explore everything he's done. I you know I checked out some of Pure Comedy first, and you know some of it was 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 cool and it was attracting my ear, but a lot of it just was I was just kind of next next, you know. So we'll we'll see how it goes. It's very different. Yeah, yeah it's cool. very different. Very different. Um, That's cool. <laughs> see, I like I like Fear Fun the most too because it's uh, very folk rock, but it's like super psychedelic folk rock. I yep. like psychedelic. Um, but it's folk very rock. grounded in folk. <laughs> yep. I love yep, me some which I like under, a lot, so. underground early seventies psych folk. So I, I'm, I'm down. That's yeah. exactly what it is, and it's like you know chock full of drug references. So right, yeah, this might I, be the one that'll that appeal me. to you, you druggie. <laughs> <laughs> and you you did look in uh, filth. I plead the filth. You did look into <laughs> uh, like his backstory. More like plead the eight. Oh yeah, I've read a bunch. I've read interviews, and I read a bunch. Yeah, because yeah. I'm I was definitely interested when you were telling me about him, and I I did read a lot about him. So yeah, I was that he slightly mi- microdoses dis- on LSD every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, so I was slightly disappointed. See, the thing is, I... is like, he walks this line between like, is this detached uh, performance art irony, or is he just an asshole that you want to punch in the face? And <laughs> I always go back and forth, but ultimately, like, the great music wins out. I think the answer is yes to that question. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of, you know, there's that lyric we were talking about on Facebook a while ago, uh, a little less human with each release, yeah. closing the gap between the mask and me. Yeah. Where like, you know, the, the delineation between this, you know, character you're playing versus your true uninhibited self starts to blur. Yeah. And before, uh, before he became Father John Misty, um, he was the drummer for the Fleet Foxes. And he also put out multiple uh albums as jay tillman and i guess they were just kind of like drab gloomy kind of folk music and then yeah it bores the crap out of me yeah that's when he uh he decided to quit the fleet foxes and uh drove his van down to california took mushrooms for the first time ended up naked in a tree and that's when he came up with uh, the character of Father John Misty that was originally conceived of as him, like, being kind of a court jester kind of person um, and it having fun with it. And that's what Fear Fun is, basically. I and, will check it out. And with that, we'll, uh, to our showdown this week, uh, which I neglected to mention, but Scott, Scott did thankfully mentioned uh which is radiohead and spiritualized we'll go into that with a clip (laughs) 
think uh there's going to be any suspense here in saying at the outset that all three of us would pick radiohead over spiritualized um, radiohead yeah um, yeah that's not a very fair fight yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in fact i mean we're talking about my favorite band of all time so yeah uh, radiohead um they're my favorite active working band um favorite band of the past 20 years and by no small margin so the way i approached uh preparing for this uh was to kind of uh just play defense attorney for spiritualized (laughs) because i think that band is kind of like criminally either underrated or overlooked i guess and the whole reason that i wanted to match these two bands up together actually is because OK Computer is so often listed as number one for the best albums of the 90s. And while I agree that's a great album, possibly Radiohead's best, it just depends, you know. Um, but that was not my favorite. My favorite album that was released by a British, air quotes, alternative band in the year 1995. Um, because I actually prefer, um, ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space. Wait, uh, uh, to here, here's the here's the sound of me pushing up my glasses. Uh, that was actually 1997. Oh, okay, 1997. <laughs> I got that one wrong. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, since you're the guest here, Scott, um, I'll go ahead and <laughs> let you go first, and you can take the conversation any way you want to. All right, I'm the guest, and here I am insulting my gracious host. Um, <laughs> no, you just corrected me. No, I was you're, wrong. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I mean, those are those are great two great albums. They were released in the same year. Uh, NME actually named "Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space" as the best album of the year. Um, you know, you say that you have to play defense attorney, but um, "Spiritualized" are also one of my favorite bands. I own every one of their albums including uh, Complete Works, which is all these alternate versions and acapella versions. There's actually an acapella version of the song 200 Bars, which is literally the woman counting from 1 to 200 with nothing else. That's interesting. Maybe not maybe not a, you know essential track to put on that, but... Uh, no, I love Spiritualized. And um, I actually think Let It Come Down is my favorite Spiritualized album, which is criminally underrated. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> I, I like that one a lot um, and it was interesting as a follow up to uh, ladies and gentlemen because 
it has the same kind of uh, like loud, quiet, loud dynamics that made uh, Ladies and Gentlemen so great, but it, it's not as dense musically, if that makes sense. Um, but it does have like lots of great songs like Do It All Over Again, um, Out of Sight, uh, The Twelve Steps, Stop Your Crying, Anything More, Won't Get to Heaven, Lord Can You Hear Me. Yeah, it's a really good album. Yeah, it's got, I mean, it's like the strongest songs, the strongest collection of songs they've had, because a lot of their stuff is kind of droney and jammy. Yeah. And, but Let It Come Down is a very, uh, it's an album of very polished songs yeah. with great arrangements and some of his smartest lyrics too. A lot of his lyrics I have a limited tolerance for. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, he basically writes about uh, his recurring themes are uh, religion um taking lots of drugs and uh then having trouble with women and those all kind of seem related um precisely with a smattering of you know lifted blues lyrics in between yeah yeah your thoughts andy you know i i never got into spiritualized real heavy um if some friends of mine turned me on to spaceman three and i was you know i was into them enjoyed them and then when it kind of morphed into spiritualized, I checked it out and it was just kind of like, Meh, you know, it just never really connected with me. I kind of found it, uh, I would, I wouldn't be able to stay focused on it. I would kind of lose track and, and uh, my mind would wander because I wasn't getting into it. Because hmm. they actually, they, I don't know, they kind of seem up your alley. Um I know, and that's the thing, and I, I've checked them out many times, like, going back to it, just because, you know, great album titles and, and descriptions of it, like, this sounds like something I would love, and I'll hear it, and then even, like, yeah. even Ladies and Gentlemen Were Floating in Space? Have you, yeah. like, listened to that from start to finish? Yeah, 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 and, and I mean, it's, it's not bad, it's good, it's just not something I wanted, like, felt compelled to keep going back to. Hmm. Well, I'm... We should say about uh, Spaceman 3, which were also a great band, um, one of their albums is uh, titled Taking Drugs to Make Music to Take Drugs <laughs> to. To Take Drugs to. And I, I think that <laughs> sums up both uh, Spaceman 3 and Spiritualized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, agreed. So I feel like with Spiritualized, I they were a huge influence on me musically. And I enjoy them, but they have a kind of narrow appeal. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's kind of, to some degree, the um, kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, they didn't really mix it up all that much. And when I say they didn't really mix it up all that much, I mean, um, Jason Pierce has played with musicians that are nominally spiritualized but spiritualized is basically jason pierce and then whoever he hires to uh flesh out his songs a couple other ones i wanted to mention um and i think we can probably uh dispense with uh spiritualized uh after that um because it doesn't sound like we have all too much to say about it um but laser guided melodies um that is a great album to take drugs to um, <laughs> and take your time, shine a light, and the one you mentioned, two hundred bars. That's a; those are really good songs. Um, 
Lots of people swear by um, Pure Phase as the best spiritualized album, and I wouldn't argue against that um, too strongly. Uh, that has Medication and Electric Mainline, and I think all the songs on that are uh, pretty strong. Um, that's, the rem- that's the one I remember um, liking the most, I think. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That's a, that's a really good album. I don't really like amazing grace all that much what what do you think about that one scott i you know i enjoyed it when it came out it's very stripped down because it was kind of a reaction to let it come down which was you know very heavily orchestrated there were like over a hundred musicians on that album yeah and so it was this very stripped down garage rock yeah definitely i liked it like they've never put out an album that wasn't good yeah i agree I agree. I mean, even their last one, uh, "Sweet Heart, Sweet Light." Oh, that's I love a really that solid one. album. I love that one. Um, yeah, uh, "Amazing Grace." Definitely, that one definitely rocks harder than uh, any other spiritualized album. And "Lord Let It Rain on Me." That's a great song. Songs in A and E. I like that one. Um, that's mo- that's even more melancholy than. Uh, most spiritualized <laughs> albums are um, Soul on Fire. So that has a great title. Yeah. As a musician, I love that title. Well, uh, because blues is basically an A and an E in those two keys. And he wrote those songs when he was in the hospital, which in England is called A and E. I did so not know that part. Entendre. I thought he was talking about acid and ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe. There's, there's a lot of layers there. <laughs> yeah, and that one has uh, Soul on Fire. That's a fucking banger. Um, Sweet Talk is good. Death Take Your Fiddle is good. Sitting on Fire. Don't Hold Me Close. Those are all good. Um, I might actually even like Sweetheart, Sweet Light even a little bit more than I like, ladies and gentlemen. We're uh, floating in space. Because um, Hey Jane is fucking awesome. Um, yeah. Even beyond just, like, the the whole Jane connection um, between, you know, like, there's a reason that uh, the character, the heroin junkie character in Breaking Bad was named Jane. Um, there's a long tradition in rock and roll of uh, a heroin junkie named Jane. Um, and that song is amazing. And if anybody listening has not watched the video... For that song, that video is fucking awesome. Um, and then the rest of the album is great. Um, like Little Girls, great. Get what you deserve. Headed for the top now. Mary. And then uh, um, so long, you pretty thing. That oh, might that's be yeah. That might be my favorite spiritualized song. That is so good. Um, including you know the uh, album David is so Bowie like overwhelmingly that. positive sounding, which is very different from their previous stuff i think uh there's a probably a really good reason why which is that um i guess right before uh that was recorded jason pierce and some of his friends they all went to go get physicals um to find out if they were okay so that they could keep taking drugs um and he never said what it was that he was diagnosed with but he had some sort of illness that he needed chemotherapy for. He was on chemo, for. wasn't he? What's that? Yeah, he was on chemo, right? Yeah, he was on chemo. 
um, and couldn't do drugs anymore. And I mean, obviously, if you listen to Spiritualized Catalog, um, he is an alcoholic and a uh, opioid junkie prior to that. So that might have something to do with it. Other than that, I don't have anything else to say about uh, Spiritualized. Do you, Scott? Uh, no, I just, uh, you know, I would have put them up against, uh, you know, maybe someone other than Radiohead. They're, uh, they're you know, one of the greatest uh, alternative rock bands of the past few decades. Um, great catalog, never made a bad album. Uh, but, you know, they're sort of a one-note band. You know, I do drugs. I can't keep a relationship together. Yeah. And, uh, and... So, you know, the older I've gotten, the less I've listened to them. They were a lot more appealing to me when I was, you know, an angsty adolescent who screwed up everything I did. <laughs> but I'm yeah. a reasonably together adult now, and uh, so they just have lost a lot of appeal to me. But I love them. Yeah, they're so great. They're fantastic. And the whole reason um, that I did um, put these two together was not to bash spiritualize, but because I don't think the difference between Radiohead and Spiritualized is all that great. I definitely think Radiohead is better, um, but I, I wanted uh, all of our, what, like 20 listeners um, to check out uh, Spiritualized based on this. So, This is where you play the clip. There are dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank each and every one of you for listening. Thank you, 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 but, we will now thank you individually by name. Yeah, we, we could do that, actually. <laughs> uh, on the uh, uh, Sound, SoundCloud uh, analytics, um, I can pull up what city the listeners are in, and uh, I can pretty much tell you <laughs> their names based on that. Um, but yeah. We, let's not, let's someone not in Honduras, out. maybe? Yeah, someone in Honduras. I'm not sure who that one is quite yet. They might want. They this might this not podcast wanna... is huge in Honduras. It is. They might not want people to know they're listening. Honduras is our number two country. Um, we're big in Honduras, man. We are. We're huge in Honduras. So, of course, yeah. Um, all three of us absolutely adore Radiohead. Um, and one thing I, I wanted to mention about them at the outset is that it's really funny if you go back and uh, listen to Pablo Honey. Because that album, I mean, it's adequate, uh, but there's not really anything special. Um, Creep, of course, you know, that was a good uh, Holly's knockoff that became a big hit. Um, but there's not really anything at all about it, other than maybe, like, the back half of stop whispering that would have led you to believe at all that they would go on to do what they did and then of course their follow-up to that was the bends um which i know is uh, uh your favorite album scott so why don't you go ahead and uh talk about the bends a little bit uh well i would i would uh vehemently deny the charges actually no I thought that was your favorite one. Maybe I'm misremembering. I enjoyed the Benz, but OK Computer is the most perfect album ever made. <laughs> yeah, not, OK not, Computer 1, Benz 2. Yeah, I, I'm not going to 
argue uh, that point. I, I really can't argue against that point. Like, I, I like, um, like I said, I like Ladies and Gentlemen more than OK Computer, but fuck, OK Computer is a perfect album. It is perfect. There's not a misstep on it. No. The Benz is pretty awesome, though, and that that was what kind of first, I think, caught kind of uh, not just, like, the music press, but... Um, just kind of music nerds like us caught our attention like wait a second <laughs> this band might actually uh have something going on i think it took it was like a year after okay computer came out by the time i was like okay i i should probably check these guys out <laughs> that's where i was too actually i had a friend try to get me into the bends and it's one of those things where like he was kind of a frenemy yeah and so anything he recommended to me, I uh, instantly didn't want to like. And so I kind of wrote it off. <laughs> right. But then someone got me into OK Computer after it came out. And yeah, in my case. I just kept reading so much stuff about it, and it just kept sounding so good. And I'm like, I guess I need to like listen to this album. And I, and I went and bought it unsampled, hadn't heard a thing on it when I first heard it. And it instantly became my new favorite album right then. Yeah, I, I, of course, I liked Creep, of course, um, as one does. Um, and then I didn't, I hadn't listened to the bands, but I did remember uh, seeing, I caught just the tail end of a video um, from the bands. And off the top of my head, I can't even remember. I think it's the video for it's Just. Probably Just. Yeah. Yeah. Like right at the end where like the, like, person whispers a secret yeah. into somebody else's ear and then the camera they pulls back down. and yeah they're all laying on the ground and i was like huh that's striking um that's that song pops into my head so often when reading people's facebook statuses i'm just like uh, you do it to yourself <laughs> you do so you know what's cool about just is it was uh, the result of a contest between the band members to fit as many chords into the song as they could. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that. that's why there's all these little diversions and, and, and bridges and stuff, because they were just squeezing as much stuff in as they could. Well, yeah, it rocks hard as hell, for sure. Yeah, it's such an awesome song. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then, like, when OK Computer came out, I... I don't remember. It was probably Rolling Stone or Spin or I don't know which one I read. I just read like a kind of an interview with the band about it. Um, and so I was like, eh, whatever, I'll, I'll check it out, pick it up. And like from the very first chord of that album, I was fucking hooked. Yeah. Instant mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Um <laughs> Even it was slower for me. Was it? Yeah, I um, actually when I was seventeen, I bought their back catalog on Columbia House. Uh, for the you know twelve CDs for one cent. Right, and then you're on the. Hook. Uh, but I was seventeen, so I couldn't enter into a legal contract, so I never paid the thirty whatever ship dollar shipping it was. Yeah, I did that too. Um, uh, I mostly ended up with stuff like Skid Row and Motley Crue and stuff like that, but. That was when I was like fourteen. I, th so. I think I got I got that, and I got Foo Fighters and some other stuff, and uh, you know I kind of listened to it off and on, and then uh, went to college and started playing guitar with this guy, and he was a huge Radiohead fan, and so 
he, he kept saying how great OK Computer was. And so I decided that I'd go back and actually give it a real listen. And, and I had just smoked pot for the first time in my life. Oh, there you go. And so I went back to my apartment, laid down on my bedroom floor, uh, put on OK Computer and just listened to it. And at the climax of exit music, I I was like, I've never heard anything like this before. It just absolutely blew me away. And then I went out and bought Kid A on the day it came out. And (laughs) yeah, so uh, I think to understand uh, why uh, Radiohead went from OK Computer to uh, Kid A, I think you have to watch the film Meeting People is Easy and uh, have you guys both seen that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I own it. Yeah, me too. I own um, it as well. Because what is very obvious uh, from that movie is that they were not, and especially Tom York, but not just Tom York, they were not at all comfortable um, with the fame, the attention. Like, uh, there's that scene. Uh, they were playing a live show in Philadelphia where they're playing creep and Tom York just basically like gives up and just stops singing and kind of like folds his arm and like, uh, holds the microphone out to the crowd for just them to sing it. Um, obviously in like disdain. Um, so then they put out kid a, which was basically a double middle finger. I think to all the fans that they had gained from OK Computer, and so what? What did you guys think of uh, that transition between those two? Kid A was definitely a bit of a shock at first. Um, I didn't like it a whole lot at first. I didn't listen to it much, and then uh, Amnesic came out, and I listened to that a little bit. But then I saw them live. And saw them play all that stuff from both those albums live. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. There's some really good stuff here. And going back and revisiting the studio recordings after hearing them play it live, I heard what I was missing. Scott? Well, as uh, previously intimated, I was just floored by it immediately. I... You know, I know a lot of people didn't like it then, and, you know, I'm not appealing for hipster cred or anything, but um, me and my guitar player went to, on the day it came out, to Tower Records or wherever the hell we used to go back then, and uh, bought the CD, put it on in his car, and I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't really expecting anything, but the, uh, the just those very first electric piano notes just absolutely blew me away, and I I was hooked. I loved it. Yeah, and it... It took me a minute um, to get into it just because it, it was so different. But I think it's uh, I think it's a little overrated by people, um, but I do think it's a, a great album. Um, although I kind of think that um, Kid A and Amnesiac should kind of be considered a, a double album. And maybe they yeah. kind of like the White Album or whatever, they maybe should have just made it one album because um, if you took the best off off of both of them that would be a fucking amazing album yeah they just um, have such different moods though and Kid A just captures this feeling in this moment in time and I think honestly I think Amnesiac should have been an EP so 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it it doesn't hold up as a as a full album. It's just bloated. Um, Pyramid Song is a great song though, and uh, has an even better video. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff. I mean, You and Who's Army was a huge influence on me, kind of turning me back toward the country and blues that I grew up on. Yeah, that's a good one. Any other thoughts on those two albums, Andy? Um, Kid A is really awesome on psychedelics. Yeah, yep. True statement. That was definitely a a highlight. (laughs) And then, of course, after that, um, they had lots of people clamoring for them to uh, go back to the more um, rock and roll kind of style like the Benz and OK Computer. Um, and in fact, they even said this one's more rock and roll, which it it was, in fairness. Um, but Hail to the Thief came out and came out to very decidedly mixed reviews. And I didn't like it all that much at the time, although I did watch them. That's the only time I've seen Radiohead on tour was on the uh, Hail to the Thief tour, and it was a fantastic show. Um, but when I go back and listen to it now, I like it a lot more than I did at the time. Yeah, it held up pretty good. It's not one of my favorites, but it's got a couple of my favorite songs. Um, two plus two equals five and they're there and, um, optimistic. I like those a lot. Sit down, stand up is a good one. Oh yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good album. It's, um, it's a few tracks too long, and the production is really dry. Yeah. But it came out like yeah. within like a month of me moving from San Francisco to Portland. And I went to the record store at midnight and got it when it came out and went immediately home and listened to it on headphones because I lived with roommates. And so that album is kind of quintessentially Portland to me. It's like, remind you know, it's one of those things where you tie up an album with a personal memory and feel really, very That's fond always nice it. when that happens. Yeah. After that was uh, In Rainbows, um, which I think is a fantastic album. Um, The only quibbles I would have is that I don't think the production on it was all that great. It sounds much better. Uh, Anybody listening, um, look up, if you haven't already, uh, In Rainbows, live from the basement, um, because that's way better. And the other thing is that they should have put the Daily Mail on it because I think that's the best song. Oh, that's a fantastic song. They should have. The period. problem is, is they should have had that entire second CD on the album itself. Bangers and Mash. Yeah, Bangers and Mash is great. That's a great rock song. Yeah, it took seeing that basement thing for t- to get me into that album. When it first came out, I. Uh, didn't you know didn't really grab me but then i watched that and then went back and listened to it after watching that and then saw him live on that tour and and you know now now i really get into it but you know the, the that album was huge because it was the the one they put out for free on the internet that's right that's right that's true and uh in fact on the day that it came out i went to their website and uh i entered in zero dot zero zero and downloaded it so that was cool same thing that I was did. revolutionary <laughs> now you can go on Bandcamp and you can do that for yeah. anybody 
Yeah. Like Stars yeah. of Cascadia or Gamma Repeater or Telestrion. Yeah, and the yep. only uh, only reason they did that is because they were in between record labels and they were trying to find a label um, that would give them like a, a deal that they were comfortable with and they were having trouble with that. So they're like, well, fuck it. We're Radiohead. Yeah. We'll just put it on the internet and people can pay whatever they want for it. And now that's... And it was hugely successful. Yeah, now that's pretty standard. Yeah, Because I mean, if they... you do that, um, 100% of uh, the money will go to the band and not to the record label. Yeah, and they say that they still, uh, like the average person paid like 10 bucks and they made over a million dollars on the album. Yeah. And I think... Um, I uh, believe they've said... I think it's demonstrated time and again that if you just put music out there, make it available, people will pay for it. Yeah. If I remember correctly, uh, I believe Tom York said that that was the album that they themselves, as a band, um, made the most money off of. I'm not surprised, because they didn't have a record yeah. label. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Skimming off the top. Um, and it is a great album, but... Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Andy. Um, if I want to listen to In Rainbows, and I often do want to listen to In Rainbows, I don't pull up the album. I pull up... Uh, live from the basement that's so much better where i end and you begin on that so good um yeah but you gotta have the second disc yeah the second uh, disc second disc up a ladder and um (laughs) is bangers mash on the second disc or the first yeah yeah it's on disc two so good yeah uh I guess we should backtrack for a second because we we didn't talk about this. Um, the outtakes from OK Computer. B-sides. Um, yeah, out, outtakes and B-sides from OK Computer are fucking awesome. There's some it's like another great, great album songs. in itself. Yeah. Uh, Palo Alto. Uh, Pearly. Pearly. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff that they never even that released, was, uh, like... Uh, Big Boots yeah. and Big Ideas. They finally released that as nude on In Rainbows, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, well, Scott, do you have that that okay, not okay, that new thing? Oh, yeah, I have one of the uh, special clear blue indie record store versions. Yes. <laughs> it's nice to have a friend who owns an indie record store. Green Noise Records, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Plug. Excellent. And... Man of War eventually did come out too. Um, yeah, the mix that, on that, that is was weird. Originally, Big Boots. It, yeah, there's like this really prominent weird. piano that just throws me off. Yeah, it it's very that was uh, that was probably my favorite uh, of the OK Computer outtakes, and it sounds very different um, on a Moonshape Pool. But we'll get to a Moonshape Pool very soon. No spoilers. Um, but first. First, we need to talk about The King of Limbs. Um, Worst album ever. With Pablo Honey. Yeah, that was a misstep. It it sounds like the CD is skipping through most of it. It does. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Um, There's no melodies on it at all. Uh, It just... (laughs) 
don't know. Codex is almost a beautiful it's a, it's, song. Almost. And then it doesn't go anywhere. Yep. None of it goes anywhere. That's the whole problem with it. It's I, I get it as wanting to be like experimental type thing, yeah. Yeah. That's another yeah, one though it's where trying to be experimental, but it yeah. Where in the basement made it much better. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But it still didn't get me to enjoy the actual album like it did for In Rainbows. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's above Pablo Honey, um, just because Pablo Honey is completely mediocre. I'd rather listen to Pablo Honey. I don't know, after listening that. to some of the Pablo Honey songs that I liked last night, I think i got to put Pablo Honey ahead of uh, yeah. King of Limbs. And actually, I'm going to throw a bomb here and say, Spiritualize never released an album remotely as bad as King of Limbs. <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, there's, there's one situation that. where I listen to King of Limbs and it never fails. I drive up to Vancouver, BC at least once a year. It's like a seven hour drive. And it's always the album I put on after I get through Border Patrol. I've got like an hour left. My ears are exhausted from listening to music. I'm tired. It's like 11 p.m. And I want something that's not going to hurt my ears or, you know, make me feel anything. Challenge you or make you think? Yeah. Oh, I'm just glad it's it's not just me because I was worried. You know, no, like, is there something no. wrong with me? I don't like this Radiohead album. I like all their other ones. What's up? No, it's definitely not just you. I think that would uh, either that or Pablo Honey would easily win a fan poll for the worst Radiohead album. See, Pablo Honey has good um, songs on it, though. It, there it are does. four songs I really like on that album. Yeah. It does. Ripcord it does. is a great song. Uh, you, the opening track, is fantastic. Yeah, that one. That one. Anyone like, can anyone play guitar. Play guitar. Is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I will go to bat. What's for the last Honey. song? What's the last song? Uh, vegetable. Is that the last one? No. I'll have to look it up. We'll pause while all of us look it up for station identification. Get there first. <laughs> Blowout. There yeah, that's go. a good one. That is a good song. That, that, that is one's a good song. pretty epic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. That's a good song. Is, uh, is Pablo Honey due for a critical reappraisal? Maybe. I mean, it was very proto. Uh, you know, it was kind of riding the wave of the Pixies. Um, set the stage. You know, so I actually have this theory about Radiohead. Where, uh, so with Creep, you had Johnny doing those... Uh, uh, those palm mute, distorted palm mutes, right? And that's like the defining feature of that song. If you take that out, that song's not a hit. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the hook of the song. And he does it. Well, also the Holly part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you take that out, <laughs> it's the same four the chords Hollies, over and over but, again. Like, yeah. the chunky guitars in the, <laughs> in the like, post-Nirvana age, that's what made that song memorable. That's true. It, that's it. Uh, man, that's an amazing moment when, when they do play it live, though, for sure. Yeah, and if you think back to then, like, that was, you know, there weren't, wasn't a lot of music like that back then with that kind of aggressive guitar playing. And so, and he did that. Because they, they do it so over the top live. They, they flash the lights yeah. and they crank the yep. guitar way up yep. in the mix. It's yep. crazy. But the thing with that is, is the reason he did that was that he, they were recording it and he couldn't get the guitar part right. And he did that out of frustration. And they said, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Keep doing that. And if that hadn't happened, I think that song would have not been a hit. 
And if that song wasn't a hit, they wouldn't have and had that rocket ride to fame. They wouldn't have had the yep. reaction against it in the bends. And then they wouldn't have gone on to these great art rock heights trying to, you know, trying to confound the critics with OK Computer. They wouldn't have reacted to that with Kid A. I, I think Radiohead would not. Trying to outrun their popularity. Yeah, they, Radiohead would not exist as we know them if Johnny Greenwood hadn't got frustrated in the recording studio. And he wouldn't have uh, provided memorable soundtracks to uh, movies like There Will Be Blood. Exactly. It's all interconnected. Well, that's why everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to all the time. Which, it should be said, um, Johnny Greenwood, (laughs) um, apart from Radiohead, being not just a great guitarist for Radiohead, which he is a great fucking guitarist, um, He's basically the guy responsible for all of their, like, uh, computer programming kind of stuff. Um, all the weird sounds. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the guy for that. Yep. Um, and he has made some great movie soundtracks. Chief among them, There Will Be Blood, most memorably. Um, and, of course, uh, this past year, they put out <coughs> A Moon-Shaped Pool, which... Number one, I think, is a total return to form um, for Radiohead. I think it, yeah, close to, if not as good as anything that they've put out. And considering that they've been at this for over twenty years, it's really surprising that they could still had that good an album in them that they could put out. Well, you know what preceded it before they before they put out the album, they leaked their uh, Spectre, their rejected James Bond theme song, and that that one was the one where it was like, okay, wait a minute, maybe Radiohead's not done. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely not done. And so, yeah, I was actually, you know, I was I, looking forward to the album when it came out and and checked it out immediately, and was like, yeah, okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. It's fantastic. I, I got into it right away. Yeah. Yep. And uh, they put out, I think, did they put out a video for every song? I think they did. And they're all really good, too. Yeah. Um, and then they also put out two videos uh, that were, one of which is uh, what I played on the clip that were directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, that it's just Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, a couple of guitars, and... Uh, I'm not a musician, so I don't know what the term is. Some kind of machine to lay down a beat. Drum machine? Yeah, yeah, a drum machine. I'm not sure technically <laughs> what it's called. Um, but yeah, and it, those are fantastic. What did you think of that one, Scott? Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, it, you know, Like you said, it was a return to form, uh, which I think in a way benefited from low expectations. Um, cause there's, a, you know, there's a few songs on it that are kind of one idea that's not really fleshed out, but there's some fantastic songs on it. And, um, you know, it was a, a huge step up from, from King of Limbs. I think it was a make or break album for them and they saved their careers. Yeah. It was funny. The other day I was, I was outside smoking in a, at my apartment complex. Um, I have to go, uh, trudge down to a smoker's shack to smoke cigarettes and uh there's this guy uh who's there a lot and he's like this old guy um 
who's obsessed with the Beatles. Um, so anytime I see him, we just talk about the Beatles. Um, so he asked me, uh, so like, who's the equivalent of the Beatles today? Who's the biggest band in the world now? And at first, my immediate thought was no one. <laughs> um, it it's just not like that anymore. There's no uh, there's no monoculture anymore, and definitely there's not as much space for rock and roll as there used to be. Um, but immediately after that, I thought, well, I guess if it's got to be somebody, it's probably Radiohead. I don't know. If the Beatles were around today, they'd probably be the band that uploaded their album onto everyone's iPhone without permission. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right about that. (laughs) Radiohead's more the Pink Floyd of the modern age. Yeah, and they're probably the closest thing to the Beatles. I think you're right. There is is no modern comparison. Um, Because pop music just isn't inventive enough. Um, So they're the closest thing. But they're so dark and they're so you know, moody and they, they don't make a lot of, uh, smart pop like the Beatles did. I don't think there's a comparison. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think they're more, they're more Floyd than, than Beatles. Yeah. They're the band that like, you know, college students now wear pink Floyd shirt or when I was in college wore pink Floyd shirts. And I think college students in the future are going to wear Radiohead shirts. For sure. (laughs) For sure. The only thing I meant by that is, I mean, who would, what band, could you say is is bigger than Radiohead in this day and age? You too. <laughs> yeah, it's not popularity though, right? You, it's uh, it's artistic uh, endeavor. And, yeah. and I don't think U two's even that popular anymore. Well, what? they're at least very well known. Yeah, they're very well known, but I mean, how many people do you know even like U two? Nobody. Yeah. I mean, I like 1980s U2, but... See, I would love to get... uh, See, I think this should have been Radiohead versus U2, and I would have trashed U2. (laughs) I have never (laughs) liked any U2 song ever. I do not like U2. They are so incredibly boring. One song. One song. I like like one U2 song, and it's Bullet the Blue Sky. That's it. That's a good tune. But otherwise, fuck U2. (laughs) Really? Well, maybe it wouldn't have really? been a more interesting wow. conversation because we all would have hated you too. But the the best, yeah, there the was, best, there uh, wouldn't have been much to say. And and it's it's not even. Uh, I believe we're uh, you're already booked, right, Scott, for our future episode where we talk about the Eagles. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I will go to bat for the Eagles. Because you'll at least Uh-oh. defend them a little bit. <laughs> I love the Eagles. Whereas you too. <laughs> You too. All three of us would just trash him. I, Get the I fuck defend... out of my cab. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I totally, we can save this for later. I totally recognize why people hate the Eagles and I hate a lot of their songs too, but like their good stuff is fucking great. And I like well, some Eagles. So yeah. yeah, I like some of it. Um, but, and I would recommend this uh, to both of you and all of you listeners in case you haven't seen it. I know it's the like three hour fucking yeah, it's like fucking three hours long. The Netflix two part documentary, the history of the Eagles, but like the ratio of minutes to unintentional comedy 
is off the charts. It is so <laughs> good. It is amazing. Uh, but yeah, well, we'll get to the Eagles. Uh, I believe it's Eagles versus Fleetwood Mac. I believe. You are correct. Um, Something like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, you guys got anything else you want to add about Radiohead or anything else? I think I've said everything I would want to say about Radiohead. Yeah, I'll uh, you know I'll throw in one last thought, which is uh, we, you know we've appreciated Johnny Greenwood a lot. I think that Ed O'Brien is a very underappreciated uh, part of Radiohead, and I think comparing them to Pink Floyd, you talk about Richard Wright on uh, keyboards for Pink Floyd and how he really defined the atmosphere of the band, and Johnny Greenwood, you know, did the great guitar lines and a lot of the the orchestration and stuff, but all of that atmosphere underneath every song that Radiohead did is Ed O'Brien. And I never appreciated that till I saw them live. And so, you know, yeah, I just like yeah. to uh, give a little shout out to Ed. Shout out to Ed. Also, um, they played a very key role in uh, my favorite South Park episode of all time. Scott Tennerman must die. That's what I was going to say. The best thing Bono ever did ever did was be a piece of shit on South Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's true as well. <laughs> All right, so I guess uh, about wraps things up. Um, on that note, thank you uh, <laughs> once again for joining us, uh, Scott. And uh, I think, I mean, we've got you down for at least two future shows so i'm sure this will be a a reg well, that's good because we we still have to tell the story of being high and lost in atlanta that's yes. true and With i the, forgot to bring that the up. haunted gps I to bring so that we'll up. do that on a, we'll do that on another one <laughs> all right yeah. well yeah definitely <laughs> was, I, I have lots of opinions on on lots of stuff so uh, have me back when you're talking prog all right genesis versus uh yes or whatever i'm in on that king crimson whoever, beats them all <laughs> oh yeah and we it, should just have a prog it, like you know uh, free for all battle royal mm-hmm. prog you know rock what? battle royal you know what we should do for that and I'm, I'm completely serious about this um, just come up with a list of bands um, and then I don't I don't know shit about prog I'll be honest up front I, I never really got into it all that much but we'll get you two obviously no you two sucks not you two. <laughs> <laughs> They are not Prague. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> they are regressive. <laughs> regressive. And then we'll... Then, then we'll get, uh... Andy Charles Bellamer. There we go. Book. Getting an authority. Yeah. And... And I will just set things up and facilitate and just let you three guys go at it. Because I, I think that would yeah. be very entertaining. I think we also need to get That'd you into good. Prague, sure. though. There is no yeah. way that someone but, who likes I mean, Radiohead and the Flaming Lips and Pink Floyd, we're gonna turn you into. I'll, a I'll, gi- I'll give him one next. I'll, I'll give him one next week after he gets gets past uh, Dope Smoker here this week. All right. Well, not not many people know this uh, about me, Scott. Um, I am actually the world's biggest uh, Phil Collins fan. You know, Phil Collins is underrated. He was a fantastic drummer in Genesis. 
You don't have to tell. You don't have to tell him. He fucking loves Phil Collins. So I, I'm the world's biggest Phil Collins fan. If you're the world's biggest Phil Collins fan, do you listen to Genesis? Well, just late period Genesis. I do. Um, yeah, I didn't really like uh, the '70s Genesis. That that was a little much for me. I didn't. I don't really like understand that kind of music. That's like arty and avant garde. Um, it was more when Peter Gabriel left Genesis, which is ironic because I like Peter Gabriel's solo stuff, like Sledgehammer. Um, I like that kind of stuff. But I really liked the direction that Phil Collins took um, Genesis after Peter Gabriel left. I mean, to are me, you talking? That's the best this is Genesis another podcast stuff. entirely. But are you talking like '80s Genesis? Or are you talking like a trick of the tail, wind and weathering? Absolutely, oh, 80s. absolutely late '80s Genesis. Oh, see, even like I mean, in Phil fact, Collins. They, there was a whole Phil Collins period in the confusion, '70s. Confusion Genesis. No, I mean, he in liked, fact, in fact, um, my favorite. What, what was your favorite? My favorite, I think, and I think this is undeniable to anyone who's. Uh, knows like the real Phil the real Phil um, touch the best Genesis album is absolutely Invisible Touch fair enough <laughs> what, what can you I do own it on you vinyl know? I will say but you, you gotta sit down and listen to A Trick of the Tale if you haven't listened to A Trick of the Tale in a while or ever <laughs> I implore you to listen to that album. I think well, he was more of a solo Collins fan, though. Really, like yeah, Sushi I love, I love, I love Phil Collins solo. Um, for example, um, in the air in the night, oh, <laughs> so good, and uh, against all odds, against all odds, yeah. I don't know how you can like Radiohead and I Phil mean, Collins and not like seventies Genesis. Even just thinking about... He doesn't really like Phil Collins. <laughs> God damn it, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> this man's a phony. <laughs> All right, well, apparently we need to have a, an entire podcast just gen- uh, dedicated to arguing about Genesis. <laughs> no, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> so the thing was, our first... Uh, practice episode that we ever did um, that is lost to history because I was a dumbass and only recorded just my end of the conversation. Um, I couldn't... We did uh, Phil Collins versus John Cougar Mellencamp, (laughs) and I couldn't think of anything interesting at all to say about Phil Collins. So I approached it like an improv character where I was the world's biggest... uh, Phil Collins fan. Got it. So it's an inside joke that I was not a part of. And now I feel very left out. <laughs> and then Andy just it'll fucking... Make, it'll no, make but for that was radio. perfect. That was perfect because you didn't know it was a joke. <laughs> and then Andy went and ruined it. God damn it. Well, I think there's a Phil Collins fan inside of you. I think we need to explore this. <laughs> explore your Phil. I didn't, even, I didn't even get to do the best joke, which is that um, I'm, uh, I've seen 
every Phil Collins and uh, Genesis show um, since Phil Collins became the lead singer ever. I follow them <laughs> That's around. What, like, he didn't uh, know you were full of shit at that point either. A deadhead. So. Um, only I don't ever and never have done any drugs whatsoever. <laughs> that was my favorite joke. Yeah, see, I think well, I believed the first one before the second. <laughs> that that or the uh, that or Invisible Touch being the best Genesis album. <laughs> that was a, that was a intentionally uh, clearly it's Abacab. <laughs> All right. Abacab. So Andy, um, we we battered a, a few ideas around last night. Um, who do who do you want to do next week? Oh damn! Put me on the spot. I don't know. Um, let's do the Metallica Guns and Roses. Sure, let's do it. Do some might, loud rock and roll. Might have a guest, might not, um, but it will be Metallica and Guns and Roses. And once again, um, thank you, Scott, very much for uh, joining us. It was a lot of fun. Once we got past uh, all the technical difficulties. And we'll definitely be happy to have you on again. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Goodbye, the pleasure was everyone. all yours. Bye. Later.